Hi, I'm Nagin Serafi. Thank you for tuning in. In this episode, I am sharing a conversation with Laura Snyderman about how we can create more meaningful connections in our lives. Laura shares personal experiences, academic insights, and her learnings from years of community building. Together, we unpack what it really means to be vulnerable with friends, family, and strangers, and how we can create a sense of belonging by leaning into and out of community. Laura is the founder and CEO of Kind, a digital friend-making platform that is rehumanizing the experience of making friends online. She's using her master's in clinical and counseling psychology from Columbia University and six years of experience running an international women's retreat to transform the global loneliness epidemic. I have been watching Kind unfold moment to moment from the first time it was unleashed in the world. And it's been really incredible to see its growth and then to see the media pick up on the fact that we do need these spaces online and offline. I'm interested to know what you think is the relationship between loneliness and belonging. Hmm. I think that they're actually like the antithesis, you know, to one another. And when you feel a sense of love and belonging, essentially you can't feel alone. You can't feel loneliness because you know, I love, um, I love Brene Brown's quote that vulnerability is not a weakness. You know, that's something we really see it as it's our most accurate measure of courage and it's the birthplace of love and belonging. And I think that there are so many people in the world that experience loneliness, even when they're in a room full of people, because they're not allowing themselves to be seen and heard. And to me, that is vulnerability. It's showing up authentically, no matter, you know, if you had a really shit day and that's how, that's what you're showing up to the group dynamic with, but you're pretending to put on this facade of everything's cool. Everything's okay. You know, that's when you start to feel lonely because you're not feeling received. You know, you're not able to express yourself. You're not able to be held by the other people in the room. And I truly, truly do think that when you allow yourself to show up in a group, whether that's with one person or whether that's with in a room full of a hundred people, if you show up vulnerably as yourself and you know that that is enough, you don't have to be anything else. That sort of mitigates the feelings of loneliness that so many of us feel. And I don't think that that's embedded into our education system around relationships. I don't think it's embedded into our cultural understanding through the media of like what it means to be in relationship to someone else. So I think there's a really important need to re-educate people around the importance of vulnerability as a way to feel seen. When we are with others, it is so rare that we're in an environment where we're invited to just show up with whatever it is that we're feeling that day. And that actually, the truth is, if you showed up to, you know, a room full of people and you said, you know, I, I didn't have the best day, more likely than not, 
you're actually going to connect so much more deeply with the people in that room than if you were to just show up and list all the things that are going well, because they're humans too. And we're all going through a variety of emotions and a variety of things, especially right now, you know, having been almost exactly a year since COVID started. And I think there's just so much opportunity for us culturally as a society to shift this narrative around what it means to belong and that that sense of belongingness needs to be attached to a sense of mutual vulnerability. When you give of yourself, it's actually a gift to yourself because we don't realize this, but if you really reflect on like what have been the most nourishing relationships in my life, what you will likely come to find is that they're the relationships where you feel like you're not only valued for what you have to offer to that person. And that could look like emotional support. You know, if you have a relationship with someone and they're very vulnerable with you and, you know, you help them work through their challenges, you actually end up feeling really good about yourself and really good about that relationship because you want to feel needed by that person. And then in reverse, you want to feel like you're receiving as much, you know, in that example, emotional support back from that person. So that's where the reciprocity is. And if you build reciprocity and generosity into your relationships, whether that's with your partner, your family, whether that's with all of your colleagues, whatever the the group dynamic might be, you will feel a much, much greater sense of love and belonging because you will feel that you have a meaning and purpose in the context of that dynamic. I love that you mentioned mutual vulnerability. I think that's really important because I can show up vulnerably and you could show up vulnerably into a a space. And if the other person or the other individuals that are in your space in the conversation aren't willing to meet you there, I generally experience that we don't get to go to the depth of intimacy. And so my question is, and, and really, I don't have an answer for this, so I don't expect you to have an answer, but just maybe we can live process How do we cultivate mutual vulnerability? Well, I do think it starts, you know, you're really amazing at this. I do think it starts with you, you know, like not you as a person, but speaking to the audience, it really does have to start somewhere. And so I do think that when you work at letting yourself be vulnerable, you give other people permission to do the same. And a lot of times, most times other people they're not practiced in the art of vulnerability. And so they might be thrown off guard a little bit, you know, if you get on Zoom and you say, you know, I haven't really been having a great day. I'd love to talk about it with you and and hear how you've been feeling lately. I think that you bringing that energy to the table, I think people will be surprised by, by how much they are received with a more vulnerable response back than normal. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, you know, speaking of, of live brainstorming, but I I do really think it's, it's a lot about self-work and, you know, mindful journaling is another great tip and tool to get in touch with first and foremost, how are you feeling right now? I love mindful journaling because I actually recently did a workshop with NPR on that. And so I have been doing a lot of research and one of the fascinating things I didn't know is that actually putting your thoughts to words on paper 
stops your amygdala, which is the region of your brain, you know, that is responsible for your fight or flight reaction when a stressor occurs. When you put words on paper, you actually immediately stop the firing of your amygdala. And therefore, you don't feel the stress response that you normally would uh, when a thought arises that is stressful to you. And so I think that's a very interesting and also like research-backed method to gradually begin over time changing the makeup of your brain and the neural pathways in your brain so that you're able to address how you're feeling in a more relaxed way, which will most likely make you feel more comfortable speaking about those things with others. I couldn't agree more about the writing piece. I actually use writing as a tool for myself, writing and journaling. And um, it's the number one tool that I use with my clients as well when I do one-on-one sessions or when we do group sessions. Because it takes the thing that's in your mind and makes it tangible. And literally as a result of that, you develop a different relationship with that thought that was just in your head. And now it's on paper and it's looking back at you. Going back to your original question about how do we how do we cultivate mutual vulnerability, I have to agree with you. I think it starts with one person stepping into the circle. And I think there's a relationship between vulnerability and feeling safe. Absolutely. Like so many of us, I think, find it easier to be vulnerable with strangers over our family or our closest friends or maybe even our partners. Like, why is that? Why is that? I think for me, if I, if I just look at my personal experience, it has so much to do with the, you know, the preconceived notions that my friends and family might have about who I am or how I might show up and expectations. Yeah. You have had history together. And so you're not sure if this week, if you show up in a certain way, you'll be received with love and compassion and care. And I think one of the the beautiful things about Kind is that you are connecting deeply or there is the space to connect deeply with strangers. And I think the possibility of connecting with strangers in a vulnerable way, there's something there for all of us. And um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this where I've like met somebody at a conference or like even on the train and you just go into having this very deep conversation and you think like, I just said things to this person I would <laughs> I wouldn't say to my best friend like yeah what what do you think that is You have to be brave to be vulnerable you have to take that first step because yeah you your vulnerability might be rejected and that's really scary you know when mm. especially it's less scary when there's no stake in the game there when there's no like and that's where to your point about strangers versus people that you love is I think also something we all need to think about is like when you choose to be vulnerable, you can't have the expectation that the other person is going to know how to receive your vulnerability because then that is what causes you. If they don't, if they are not equipped at that moment to deal with, you know, what you've brought up, then you have now put yourself in a position where you're going to feel badly, you know, versus just trying to embody the desire to be vulnerable for the sake of being vulnerable for yourself rather than the expectation that that's going to lead to something else with the other person. Because we're talking about loneliness and connection and 
I believe each of us experience loneliness in a different way. I would love to understand what your experience of loneliness has been in the times that you have felt lonely and then where you think there are similarities between how we all feel lonely. Definitely my sense of loneliness has, I guess, correlated with the the general definition of loneliness, which is that it's an emotional response to feeling disconnected. And in this case, that is, if we're speaking about in relationship, that's, that's feeling disconnected from others. Um, and I think a really fascinating, you know, I, I haven't thought about this in a while, but um, a really fascinating moment for me was after I graduated from McGill and I, in my undergrad, and, you know, it had been a, maybe a year and I went to a party with a bunch of the people that I considered to be, you know, my quote unquote best friends and my community while I was at McGill. And as I was walking through the room, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can relate to this experience, it was interesting to notice how lonely I felt when I was going from, you know, there were maybe like a hundred people and I, and I noticed that everyone was just going from one conversation to the next saying, Oh my God, how are you? It's been so long since I've seen you. What are you doing these days? And then you would respond and you would say, Oh my God, what are you doing these days? And then the other person would respond. And then it's like, cool, cool. Like, so, so great to see you. And you would just jump to the next conversation and it would be that exact same conversation over and over and over again. And I left that evening and I felt so incredibly drained and so lonely. I was like, who are all these people? I, you know, I went into that dynamic earlier in the night thinking, I'm so excited to reconnect with these long lost friends. And I felt like I, I left having had a superficial interaction with strangers, people that I had known for so many years, for four years and spent so much time with. And I think that that is a testament to, you know, how not only myself, like I've had that sort of feeling of being alone in a crowd many times in my like later years in life. And I really do think that it is a testament to the superficiality of relationships. And, you know, if we just speak about dating apps, for example, you know, and this culture of connection that we've built online, that is all based on how many people can I be introduced to? And the infinite possibilities of just swiping on a photograph and us judging our value and our worth based on an image and like one sentence in a bio. And I think that that is the culture of connection that has been very pervasive in the world lately with honestly, with social media, you know, I'm, there are a lot of people who have made great friends on social media and I think it's amazing, but but social media and dating apps and even friendship apps, they're not designed to help us build and maintain our relationships online. They're only designed to introduce us to as many people as possible. And I think that is also why we feel so alone, because we think that that's what's important. It's like, how many people do I know? How many people do I have on my Instagram? That's what my worth is. Not, do I have people in my life, even one person that I feel deeply, meaningfully, vulnerably connected with that I want to have consistency with in my, in my life, you know, that I want to put the effort to build this relationship over time. Um, and so that's just, you know, that's one example that arose that I think 
for myself and also might relate to others, being alone has caused me to, I think more than anything, experience my own prolonged loneliness. COVID is a great example that I think is why so many people are speaking out about their loneliness now is, um, and myself included, is that when you are physically alone for an extended period of time, you know, that in and of itself does cause loneliness because we are inherently social creatures and we need social connections for our mental well-being. You know, it's one of the strongest indicators of well-being is, is the, the size and the quality of your social ties. And so if you have completely isolated yourself physically from people throughout this past year, it's very likely that you are experiencing prolonged loneliness because of that being one, you know, being one of the core reasons. But then, of course, if you're someone that is still connecting on Skype, on Zoom, maybe you have a partner and you have family members and you're feeling really lonely, it's, you know, for me, it's been an opportunity to reflect on all the ways that I've been distracting myself from feeling. My experience of loneliness has really, and overcoming loneliness, has really been about acknowledging my feelings giving myself space and time to be with myself and to not try to numb and distract from those challenging emotions that live inside of me from years and years of, you know, blocking them or, or putting them down or just becoming a workaholic. You know, that's, that was another one, a big one in New York, instead of prioritizing relationship building, I saw relationships as a luxury. And I thought that if I just got an A in my master's at Columbia University while simultaneously trying to launch the largest women festival in Canada, that Mm -hmm. that would fulfill me, that it would make Mm -hmm. me feel loved. It would make me feel a sense of belonging to this, to this society of influencers, of doing, of creating that we're told defines who we are and how we should feel. But I realized the opposite. You know, I had all of these external accomplishments I was getting a lot of recognition in the media for that business as well. And yet I felt so lonely and I didn't feel like anything I was doing was enough. Loneliness is a combination of physically being alone, you know, and also emotionally feeling alone. And for me, I've had to allow myself to sit with my feelings and and figure out who I am, what do I want, and how do I want to show up in this world for myself and for others to really, really overcome this deep sense of loneliness that I felt since I was young. Mm. The most bizarre thing about loneliness is that we all feel it together, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah. It's such a strange phenomenon <laughs> you know we 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 are lonely in the same space we are it's like the lack of intimacy is exacerbating the existing loneliness and i don't know if you've experienced this but especially lately in the past little while i've been feeling like lonely in my joy and lonely mm. in my peace and lonely in my clarity mm. When we say vulnerability, we often think, tell me that you're sad. Tell me that you're grieving. Tell me that you're broken. But I actually think it's really vulnerable to also say like, I'm really happy right now. And I I have felt (laughs) more alone in my peace and joy and clarity and in my sense of love Mm -hmm. than I have when I've been broken and sad 
and alone and grieving and angry and rageful and shameful and guilty. Like, I think there's more people to connect with in those feelings than when I'm, you know, feeling expansive. Yeah, it's, it's so funny you should say that. And it's interesting. It's something I'm still reflecting on from when I was young. But, you know, because of my my childhood experiences and this reflection I had, you know, of my, my brother and my father's dynamic. And I remember sitting under hiding, like underneath my piano, like our grand piano. And I'd made like a little world for myself under there and saying to myself, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be like explosive in my emotions. I'm just going to be happy. I'm just going to be positive and I'm going to make my parents proud. For a lot of my life, I feel like I didn't belong because I had developed neurologically from a very young age, this ability to focus on the positive. And we now know that, you know, from the neuroscience research done in positive psychology, that when you focus on gratitude, when you focus on the positives versus the negatives, because we need three positives for every negative to counteract every negative. When you do that, it creates new neural pathways in your brain that make you feel generally happier. I think because I kind of like forced myself to do that for a long time as a young girl, I did feel like really happy a lot of the time. And I was always focusing on the positive and it felt very alienating. A lot of people told me that they felt like they couldn't relate to me. They felt like I was being fake, which I wasn't being fake. It was truly how I felt. But I think to your point, it's like we absolutely need to embrace the good. There is so many ways to be vulnerable in your joy and to share the extent of that joy with someone else. You know, bring them into your joy. Explain how that joy makes you feel. I really want to honor the full spectrum of the human experience. And I think every emotion is valuable. And I want to believe that we can connect as deeply in joy as we can in grief. Like I think grief, this shared grief is so powerful. Shared rage is so powerful. We see that we've seen that this past year with protests and when we advocate for the things that we believe there's an angry rageful energy there that i think it it needs to be there i think i think anger is a very useful energy in certain circumstances i think grief is transformative and it's healing and it's necessary and maybe this is what it is maybe for me intimacy's actually intimacy and vulnerability are actually being able to mutually share the full spectrum of being human Yes. And not being judged at any any point for for my shame or my joy. And Absolutely. so how can we hold both of those things as equally valuable and important and receive them from other people and just accept people in the energy that they're in? That is what I think creates deep, meaningful connections. And I want to move the conversation a little bit towards community because I think this is just our natural progression. <laughs> you and I have both created, grown, loved, nurtured community spaces, both offline and online. And this past year, especially, I've been thinking a lot about what community means as we move forward and, and imagine possible futures. Mm-hmm. Communities are the fabric of 
societies and cultures around the world. You know, we are born into community. You know, you're born into whether that a community can be one other person or it can be a thousand people or a hundred thousand people. You know, we're a global community. And it is just absolutely essential because we need to feel a sense of belonging. And there are so many examples of incredible, incredible communities around the world. And then there are also examples of the ways that communities don't work. You have to think about how you want people to engage with one another in that community. If you want them to show up in their grief, if that's the purpose, the why of your community, then that needs to be like very, very articulated so that everybody understands this is a space for that. The more specific that you can be in creating community around the why, and that's a really interesting thing. I'm reading Priya Parker's uh, book right now, The Art of Gathering, and she talks a lot. You know, I think the very first chapter is like, what is your why for any gathering? And we so often don't think about that. And when we do, the why is often correlated with what you're doing, the activity, versus how you want the people that come to your gathering to feel, you know, what is that deeper why when you have a dinner party with your friends? Do you want to grow? Do you want to evolve your relationship by really getting to know how they're feeling vulnerably? Or maybe your why is brainstorming how you could collaborate together to support each other in your own individual pursuits, you know, whatever that why is. I think that that is the essence of any community around the world is feeling like you belong to the why and feeling like the why is clear in that community. There are many ways. I mean, it really depends on the nature of the community, you know, but I gave the example earlier of like this, this big community, I would say this very large group of friends from my undergrad. And I have individual friendships with many of them um, that are, you know, so essential to my life, but I realized that the broader, the broader group dynamic of that community, like wasn't fulfilling me in a, in, in many ways, because every time I would go to these gatherings, I left feeling drained. I left feeling like I wasn't provided with the, the opportunity to show up as myself and be my authentic self. And, and that's how I've come to want to be in spaces, you know? And so I, I think it's, it, you know, it's important to, maintain relationships with people within the communities that you've built over time uh, who are willing to show up and do the work with you. But if you feel like you're in a community that after a prolonged sense of time is draining you rather than nourishing you, it is absolutely okay to step away. I actually think there's something really powerful about separating from community because in that space sometimes is where you transform and you reconnect with your sense of identity and what that means to you as opposed to what was projected onto you and what you learned to embody as a result of whatever community you were raised in. Mm -hmm. And the most powerful thing is when you choose your community, your devotion to that community is completely different than when you're born into a specific community and you're just like, okay, well, here I am. Yep. I <laughs> guess I, I guess I'm a part of this thing. And mm. that throughout life, there will be phases where you're deeply embedded in community and phases where 
you know, I, I actually think we didn't touch on this, but I think it's important to touch on the fact that there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness and mm-hmm. solitude. And there yeah. will be phases in our lives where we choose aloneness or we yes. choose solitude and we can still feel a sense of belonging to like the mm-hmm. human race or just existence and nature and the sense of belonging doesn't specifically have to be connected to a like-minded community. Absolutely. And so in that way, I think being in community is just as important as being with yourself and finding that sense of belonging internally, as well as with a group of people. You have to belong to yourself. Yeah. You know, before you can truly belong to a community. And I think that comes back to, you know, self-love, self-compassion. And that's a, that's a work in progress constantly. You know, it's not like you find that sense of home, that sense of belonging in yourself, and then you're all good forever. (laughs) It's a, it's a constant, like, you know, reaffirming of where you're going and who you're becoming. And yeah, I couldn't agree more that you, you first have to find that sense of love and belonging for yourself. So then you can show up in community and, and share that self with others and be received and be able to be received by others to know you deserve love and belonging in return. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's uh, what's really interesting for me is thinking about the fact that you can distract yourself both by being alone and watching Netflix and, you know, developing behaviors that are not maybe healthy or contribute to your well-being, And you can distract yourself with people and with, with community, with the fact that you cannot be alone. And so knowing where your intention lies in wanting to connect or wanting to disconnect is key. Like that is really the nucleus of the entire thing for me. Yes. And I think that's also why a lot of people are experiencing loneliness to such a great extent through COVID is because many, many, many people were distracting themselves with superficial outings, with activities, you know, things that kept them from spending any time alone. You, you finish work, you go out for drinks and then you come home and it's like dinner time and then it's nighttime and then you go to bed and you wake up and you rinse and repeat. And now that we're all being forced or we've been forced to remove even the opportunities for those external distractions, we've had to be, you know, with ourselves. So I think that's another huge reason that a lot of people are experiencing loneliness now for the first time is because of what you said, which is those interactions with others that acted as distractions from oneself are not available to us anymore. I know that you're turning Kind into an app and I know how passionate you are about connecting people and community and friendship and relationships. And what is your greater vision? Why are you here? What is your mission? What do you want to do in the time that you have on earth? I used to be someone that thought once I find my purpose, that'll be it forever. And that will always remain the same. But I feel like I've felt a sense of deep purpose to multiple causes now throughout my life, but they always for me do return back to really, really wanting to help as many people as possible, not only deeply connect and accept themselves 
but to be able to deeply connect and accept others. But essentially, I want people all around the world to think of kind when they're feeling lonely and they want to build meaningful connections in their lives and they don't know where to go or how to do that. So I want it to be a place that re-educates us on how to build meaningful connections online and to maintain and develop those connections with people so that they feel nourishing and enlivening. Mm. So I always say, you know, Kind is rehumanizing digital connection. And I think that that's it. It's like, I think as humans, we all have an array of feelings and emotions. And as a global society, we need to learn how to embrace those feelings, those thoughts collectively so that we're not meeting each other on the premise of superficial things such as interests or pictures, but rather we are meeting each other on the foundations of mutual vulnerability, generosity and reciprocity, and a desire for consistency, for ongoing connection, not just one-off interactions for a like or a comment. Laura, thank you so much. I learn so much from you every time we connect, and I'm so excited to see not just where Kin goes, but where your life's work goes. And I just think your vision and mission is beyond even the things that you're creating in this moment. And I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. And I'm also really excited to plant a seed to potentially co-create with you one day in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Sooner rather than later, I hope. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. You are also such a, an enormous inspiration. So I was so looking forward to our conversation and, you know, I always know that when we talk, it's just going to be so enlightening and enlivening. So I'm grateful for your vulnerability mm-hmm. and the way that you are showing up for the world and allowing space for vulnerable conversations to happen so that people can, you know, have a mirror and a reflection in the world for how they can show up and feel. So thank you so much. One of the reasons I created this platform is because I wanted people to feel less alone in hearing the truths of other people and realizing that they might share some of those feelings. So all of these platforms are important. And I would say if anyone's listening that is thinking about creating their own community or their own platform, Don't worry about how many people are going to show up. If you need it, create it. And I promise you there will be other people in the world who need the same thing. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for your time and presence and for subscribing to my podcast. I send monthly emails where I share stories, teachings, insights, and frameworks to help us transform the way we live, work, relate, and create. Visit my website, naginserafi.com, and subscribe to become a part of my growing community. Until next time, be well and in love.